Good morning, Spanish River. My name is Timothy Torres. All right, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, it is a pleasure to be in the house of the Lord this morning, is it? Is it? Is it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Well, my name is Timothy Torres, and um, I had the pleasure of serving for five years here on the pastor team of Spanish River Church. And last year, the Lord called my family to serve and take a new call as the campus pastor at Lancaster Bible College and Capital Seminary and Graduate School. And there I get to serve with Tommy Kiedis, a former pastor, senior pastor here at Spanish River. And Tommy Kiedis sends his blessings. Well, well we now, during the summer, are going through a sermon series entitled Songs of the Savior. We've been looking at certain psalms within uh, the book of Psalms that point us towards three directions. There are some psalms that point us to the, towards the direction of praise. They're full of joy, of happiness, of contentment in the Lord and his blessings and what he's doing in and through our lives. But then there's another section of psalms that focus in on thanksgiving. It helps us to avoid living a self-centered life and to focus in towards the heavens, knowing that our blessings and our our resources, that all that we have come from God. And so through these psalms of thanksgiving, it causes us to have joy as we, are, as we are thankful for the Lord and his blessings. But then there's a third category of psalms. And we don't really like to talk about these psalms too much because these are psalms that are called psalms of lament. The word lament doesn't carry in our culture today. When's the last time you talked to your friend and said, hey, when's the last time you had a good lament? <laughs> Has that, those words ever passed through your lips? Probably not. Why? Because our culture is bent towards pursuing happiness and joy and contentment. And we would do anything that we can to stay positive all the time. That is why when you go to church, right, when you're here, you greet someone and you say, how are you doing today? What is the answer? Like always, I'm doing good. I'm doing great. Now, now we know, you know, the doctrine of sin, don't we? I mean, we live in a fallen world that is broken. We live in a fallen world, and because, because we live in this world, we too are broken. And like, statistically speaking, it is impossible for all of us in this place to be good <laughs> and to be great. The reality is that many of us are mourning. Many of us are sad, and as a church congregation, this is a season of mourning for us because our beloved Ron Tobias passed away a few weeks ago. And so we enter not into a house of joy this morning, but into a house of sadness, of a house of mourning and in brokenness. And it's okay to be sad because life is hard. And because God is a loving father, he, through his word, prepares us for times of sadness. And he prepares us through psalms of lament. You see, the psalms of lament, they help us process our negative emotions. And the word lament means a passionate expression of grief and of sorrow and confusion. You see, following Jesus is not easy. 
Jesus himself told us that in this world, we would face many troubles. But then he tells us to take heart because he has overcome the world. In Christ, we can know peace in the world of sorrow and of hurt. And the, the Psalms of Lament teach us how to take our troubles and to take our troubled hearts to the Savior so that he can, as Psalms 30 tells us, take our mourning and transform it into dancing. If you have the word of God with you this morning, I'm gonna encourage you to open up to Psalms chapter 22. And we're gonna read select verses from this Psalms. Here, King David writes for us, and intimately he opens up his soul to us, and in so doing teaches us how to lament to the glory of God and not to lament to our own detriment and to the detriment of others. Hear now the word of the living God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet, you're holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I, I'm a worm, not a man. Scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. If he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for my trouble is near, and there is none to help. Moving on to verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. And then finally, moving to verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted, they shall be satisfied. And those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May our hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. 
for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Why and how? Because he, the Lord God, has done it. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Let us go before him in a prayer. Father, uh, Lord, we come to you with heavy hearts this day as a congregation. We come lamenting, passionately expressing our grief and our sorrow. And Lord, it is only in you and in your graciousness and in your proven faithfulness that our weary souls find solace. Lord, we pray this prayer this morning, asking that you would teach us how to mourn to your glory and not to our detriment. And we pray this in Christ's matchless name and God's people say in unison, amen. Well, if you look at the Psalms, there are 150 of them. And one third, that is 50 of the Psalms, have this theme of lament. You see, as much as we want to live in the positive emotions, which are the Psalms of praise, we know and, and, and we want to live in that, but we also know that life is a blessing from God, and therefore, at God's people, we're called to be grateful. There you find the Psalms of Thanksgiving. And both, those, the, both these realities are true. We find ourselves living majority of the time in the tension of a sinful and broken world, and as a result, we face difficult, hard times. And the Psalms of the Lament teach us how to process our negative emotions because we know that if we don't learn to manage our negative emotions, what we'll find is that our negative emotions will manage us. And so you have negative emotions, which we all do. And if these negative emotions remain unprocessed, Remain unreconciled. These negative emotions can and will lead us to very unhealthy places. You see, God has given us emotions. And emotions are part of his design. It's part of the image of God in us. It's his imprint upon us. God is an emotional God. He has emotions. As a matter of fact, the Psalms covered the totality of all of human emotions. If you're feeling it, the Psalms can give you words to express it. And so emotions are, are normal. It's okay to be happy, and it's okay to be sad. And God's word teaches us and disciples how to take both the positive and the negative and bring it to the Lord so that we are better for it. But the last time I checked, I'm not sure if you noticed, but managing negative emotions can be extremely challenging. I'm not sure if you've gone through extended seasons of just anger. You're just angry all 
the time. You're, you're bitter, you're enraged, you're full of grief and sorrow, and it feels like you can't shake it. What do we do with these negative emotions? This is the tension that we call life. Well, let me give you an illustration to help process how different people think through and reconcile negative emotions. It's the illustration of Mentos and a good two-liter bottle of Coke. And if you have a middle school boy, sure enough, your son wanted to, wants to do this. My son wanted to do it as his fourth grade science project. You know it. You take the, the bottle of Coke, you, you go outside, right? You don't do it in the living room. How many people already made that mistake? But you take it far outside, far from your wife, because you don't want to be responsible for the cleanup or make her responsible for the cleanup. And you take a pack of Mentos and then you drop it into the can, a two-liter bottle of Coke. And then what happens? There's a chemical reaction with the CO2 in the Coke reacting to the Mentos. And there's, there's an explosion of soda that goes everywhere. Now, I want you to think about this illustration and align that with your emotional life, particularly your negative emotions. Right, the mentos are like the, the negative emotions that go deep down into your soul. And there's two ways, two extremes of how you can process it. First, you can do nothing, and then your negative emotions just fuse on everyone around you. That's one extreme. Like, if, if you're mad, everyone's going to feel it. And everyone's going to know it. If, if you're sad, you're going to walk into that room and the whole mood is going to go down. Right? Probably don't get invited to much parties. That's you. But that's an extreme. Some of us grab, as soon as the mentos drop deep into our souls, the negative emotions drop deep into our souls, we race and we grab that bottle cap. And what do we do? We tie it on tight. Because... I just can't deal with it right now. There's emotions there, but that, that plastic bottle is just barely holding it in. So where do you find yourself? What's your MO when it comes to your negative emotions? Are you spraying everyone with your negative emotions, or do you bottle it up? Well, neither approach to our negative emotions, places us in a strong position for life-giving, healthy connections. Because God has given us emotions as the conduit to have human connection. Right? If you're happy, you want to share that. If you're grieving, you're looking for your loved ones to console you. Your emotions are God-given gift in order for you to connect to those who are dearest to you. But if you're spraying your negative emotions on everyone, or if you are holding it in, it is preventing you from the God-giving, life-giving relationships that he has designed you for. And so where are you on that continuum? First, own it. Once you own it, you become self-aware, then you can start to grow from it. And how can we grow from responding negatively to negative emotions. Well, I think an ancient church father, St. Augustine, and a reformer, John Calvin, can help us out. In the 400s, an African church father named St. Augustine wrote in his book, Confessions, he wrote a simple prayer that said this, Lord, help me to know you. Lord, help me to know 
myself. It is a simple prayer that I think all of us need to adopt every morning when we wake up. Lord, help me in this day to grow closer to you, to know you more intimately. And Lord, help me to really understand this person that you've created that is supposed to reflect your goodness and your grace grace to others. And as a result, be an expression of worship. Lord, help me know you and help me know myself. This is what is known in theology and John Calvin picks up in the 1500s in his book, Institutes of the Christian Religion, he picks up this concept called double knowledge. Knowing God, a knowledge of God, and a knowledge of myself. And matter of fact, John Calvin, shorthand that is, says if you really want to understand who God is, in order to do that, you must also know who you are. And if you really want to truly understand who you are, There's no way you're going to gain that knowledge without an understanding and a connection with your creator. And this is the double knowledge. And so the Psalms help us to draw near to God in worship, to know him. And in the Psalms, the psalmist gives us space in order to know ourselves. You see, growing in grace means knowing God intimately and knowing ourselves realistically. And this double knowledge helps us understand our emotions and it helps us to process our negative emotions to the glory of God. And the psalmist helps us through this, the lyrics, because the psalms are actually songs and poetry. And so the psalms gives us language to our emotions, but it does more than that. The psalms tether our emotions to God's word so that then we can process our emotions in a healthy way manner. And so if you're feeling fearful, well, go to Psalms 56. If you're feeling discouraged, Psalms 42. If you're feeling lonely, then you have Psalms 71. If you're feeling like a failure, go to Psalms 51. If you're feeling anxious, go to Psalms 37. But where do you go when you feel alone and abandoned? Where you go to Psalms 22. And Psalm 22 teaches us how to pray through our grief. And this psalm then leads us down a path from grief to gratitude. The author of Psalm 22 is King David. I mean, King David made it. He started from the bottom and made it all the way to be king of Israel. This man had it all. But yet in the height of his success, he is dealing with great sorrow and great grief. And so he tells us in uh, verse 22, he is lamenting. And why is he lamenting? Because he is mocked, poured out, scorned, despised, disjointed, dried up, in the dirt, pierced through, And he feels utterly afflicted, not a good day in the office. But this is where David is at. He is is naming his extreme negative emotions. But what does he do? Does he bottle it up inside and just say, I'm doing great. It's a great day in the kingdom. No, he's honest. 
but is also he's taking his grief and his sorrow and he is pointing it, not spewing it and spraying it on other people so that they can get in the dirt with him. But who and where does he direct it? He uses that grief as a source for worship to draw him deeper into his relationship and his connection with God. C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain wrote this, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our consciousness, but shouts to us in our pains. Pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, it is in our pain that God gets our attention. It is in our mourning and our grief that God wakes us up from our delusions of this life. And he prepares us to be in a place of receiving his grace and his love and his mercy. And this is what David is doing. He is, he is taking his grief and he is wrenching his fists to the heavens and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Lord? Why are you so far from saving me? My God, I cry to you by day, but you do not answer by night. But I find no rest. Have you been there before? That you were crying out to God, but you felt that he was nowhere to be found. That you were doing the hard work of discipleship, yet life seems as bad as ever. You are investing into your marriage, trying to live biblically, but yet there is no love there. That you're, you're seeking to, to faithfully raise your children in, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, but as soon as they hit college, it's, it's like they never, you know, break the doors of the church. Because they're living like pagans. I mean, have you been there before? Lord, I raised them up. I baptized this child. I took them to Sunday school. Yet they're acting like this. Lord, I find no rest. Well, if that's you this morning, my prayer is that I can hope, offer you some hope because there is a way through this. There's a way through your grief. There's a way through your sorrow. There's a way through your anger. But it starts by naming it. It is helpful when you're going through a negative emotion, a negative emotionally time, a charged time in your life, for you to accurately name that emotion. And so next time you come to church, why don't you say, you know what, I'm just having a really bad week instead of saying I'm great. You don't have to, like, air everything out. But just say, you know what, I'm, I'm not good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still a Christian, I'm following, I'm just, it's been a really tough day. You don't have to answer why, but it's okay to name it. Because when you name it, you can almost for a moment like disassociate yourself from that negative emotion that is just kind of dominating you. It, when you name the emotion, it, it gives you a little reprieve, even just for a moment, and reminds you that, um, that emotion is not eternal. That emotion is only temporary. And it allows you for a moment when you accurately name that emotion just to catch your breath. And so if you had to, how would you name David's emotional state in this psalm? Think about it. I think he's feeling abandoned. He's feeling rejected. 
He said it, I feel forsaken. And the fear of abandonment is an overwhelming fear that people you love will leave you physically or be unavailable emotionally. That's what the fear of abandonment does to us. And David is lamenting to God because he feels abandoned, like the loving, gracious presence of God had been removed from him, and so he feels isolated and alone. This is David's emotional state. And the pain is real. And he's saying to the Lord through prayer, I can't bear this anymore. And so he has no, resort, no, no other resort but to, to bring it to God and even bring it to God as a complaint and as a protest. Think about that for a moment. David is saying to us that part of a healthy spiritual prayer life is complaining to a God in an, an appropriate way. So it's an appropriate way to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sad. Lord, I don't like where you have me. Lord, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with you, Lord. Oh, that's scary to say, Lord, please forgive me, Lord. But it's okay to say that. I mean, David is saying it's okay to say that. Because behind that, it's a great source of faith that enables him to take that negative emotion and bring it to the Lord. And he is wrestling with that. So there's three lessons I think that we can learn from David's lament. First, notice how he phrased it. He said about four times, maybe even five times in the Psalms, he refers to God not just as God, but as my God. You see, David doesn't come to the Lord as a stranger. But David comes to the Lord with a sense of boldness because there's a, a pre-existing a relational intimacy there. David prayed many prayers of praise, many prayers of thanksgiving. But now David is being real. And he's being real with God. And guess what? God is strong enough to take your negative emotions. And that's one of the lessons that David is teaching us. But to approach God, not as a stranger, because how many of us have done that? Our prayer life, life is next to nil, but when we face a trial, we get angry with God. And God's like, oh, you're talking to me now? Well, all the while, we should be walking God, alongside of God as our good shepherd so come to God with a pre-existing intimacy. But then second, he, he tells us of his connection with God and he shows us that his connection and relationship with God was not based on his emotions. But rather, he tells us in his Psalms that the nature of relation, his relationship with God was based on God's faithfulness. As soon as he brings his negative emotions to God. He goes, God, yet you are holy. You remain faithful. You were faithful to my ancestors. You were faithful to our forefathers and foremothers. You brought them out of slavery of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. You gave them the prophets. You gave them the, the, the word of God. You gave them the temple. You gave them intimacy. And because, Lord, you were faithful to them, I know that you will be faithful to me. 
But then thirdly, look at this. Notice that David's cry was one of distress and not one of distrust. It's not a lap of faith that we see in David's prayer, nor a broken relationship, but rather it is a cry of disorientation. He says, God, I'm confused. This math is not checking out. Like one plus one should equal two. Like if I do this and I'm faithful to this, then things should work out. But many times you can do all the right things. You can say all the right things. You can believe all the right things. You can go to all the right places with all the right people. But yet things don't work out. And so David in this moment through this prayer is bringing his disorientation to God. And in this moment, sure enough, David is saying, I have some weak faith right now. I have faith, Lord. But it's weak faith. But weak faith in a strong Savior is better than strong faith in a powerless one. And David knew that. Though his his faith was weak, his Savior was strong. His God was strong. That though this didn't make sense, he trusted in the sovereign reign of God who is going to bring orientation to all of this. You guys know who Charles Spurgeon is? History tells us that he is called the prince of preachers. He is the one man who has the most published sermons of all times, thousands of them. He started his ministry very young in London. And his small church that he started preaching at, at just 22 years old, grew to thousands of people scouring both the common man and royalty and dignitaries. And even people from around the world would come hear the prince of preachers preach. He is one of the, the, one of the men that most modern day preachers quote from. I've quoted from him many times here. In this church, many times he's been quoted here. But do you know that Charles Spurgeon faced a lifetime of both physical and emotional distress and despair? He battled many years with depression. At 22 years of age, his church is growing so much so they had to rent a hall similar to this size in downtown London because his small church couldn't hold all the people. And in that moment, he is singing praises and psalms of praise and thanksgiving. Because his ministry is thriving, but then also his family is thriving. His wife had twins. And so he's a young father and a young pastor, and he has a bright future ahead of him. But then one Sunday evening, while he was preaching in Surrey Gardens Music Hall in downtown London, the place is packed, literally standing room only. A couple of pranksters stood up and yelled fire from the back. And that word fire brought a great sense of fear throughout the entire sanctuary because the the entire edifice was made of wood and people were fearful because there's like one exit in the back. So people started scammering towards the exits. And in that disaster, 22 people were severely injured and seven died. Now imagine being in that place in that moment. Who would have had the bird's eye view of that disaster, of that trauma? It would have been the pastor on the pulpit preaching. He could see the faces of horror 
of trauma. And he internalized it so much so that he realized they came to me to hear me preach. It is my fault that these people died. Spurgeon's wife wrote this in in her diary during that time. My beloved husband's anguish was so deep and violent that there was no reason, that reason seemed to totter on her throne and we sometimes feared that he would never preach again. You see, the prince of preachers dealt with depression. But what did Charles Spurgeon do with his depression? He got up from the dirt. He arose and brought his depression and anxiety to the foot of the cross. And there he found a God who was a very ever-present help in time of trouble. He would later say this in a sermon, Our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but only empties today of his strength. And so King David brings his anxiety, his fear, his sorrow, his grief, and he brings it to his father. And through this prayer, he teaches us how to process our emotions to the glory of God. So much so that King David's son, generations removed, would be nailed to a cross. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jesus experiencing excruciating pain. The word excruciating means out of the cross. Literally, that's what that word, excruciating pain. Jesus experienced excruciating pain from the cross. But it's more than just physical pain that he's dealing with. He is dealing with a relational um, division between the father and the son. And so Jesus, being nailed to the cross, cries out. And Matthew chapter 27 tells us this. And Jesus repeats the word of his grandfather David by saying in the original Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabbatani. Which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, if Jesus knew the only way he was going to get through the cross was through a prayer of lament. Why don't, we, why don't we think we ever do anything different? And Jesus teaches us on that cross the reality and the goodness of the gospel that Jesus is willing to be abandoned by the Father so that we, through faith in his finished work on that cross and through the power of the resurrection, through faith in him, trusting him with our life, that he tells us because he is abandoned, we can be welcomed. Because Jesus was forsaken, we can be brought into the family of God. Let us pray. Father, we lament, knowing that you call us to lament, when it is proper, and when it is needed. And so we pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to lament, not to our detriment, not to the detriment of others around us, but that we would use these negative emotions, this grief, this sorrow, this anger, this pain, and use it as fuel to drive us deeper into a relationship with you. Because you are loving and you are kind, you are just, and you are merciful. And Lord, we trust you as David trusted you, knowing that it is through 
Christ and his finished work that the fulfillment of this psalm came to completion through the Great Commission. That the nations would hear of the righteousness and of the holiness of God. And through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ be brought into the family of God. Both Jew and Gentile through Christ are made right with the Father. And so Jesus, we lift high your name this morning. Because we know that it is through your cross and through your abandonment that we are welcome to the family of God. And for that, we worship you this morning. Amen. Let us stand and let's worship Jesus.